This time the children are dismissed. If they want to go to Children's Church, they're welcome to do so. This morning we had our annual elections and effective on uh, January 1st, Eric Rolls is a new duly elected elder at Kermansville Alliance and we're thankful for that. We're saying thank you to Jim Bell uh, for having served as an elder for, I can't remember if it was 100 years or 200 years, um, but Jim, you've served well. Yeah. There's a camaraderie that soldiers have, and I think I have it with Jim. Uh, we've been around, haven't we, buddy? Yeah, and it's been a good, good thing. I wouldn't have had it any other way. Yeah. All right. Hey, I would like to ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in two different passages. The first of them is Luke 2, and there is a Bible app event for this that you can follow along with if you would like to uh, do that. The Bible app kind of makes it easy to uh, see where we're going and what we're doing. It has the things that are on a PowerPoint and the Scripture right there in front of you. The name of the message today is God Came to Launch. Uh, We've actually been talking about the God who came to love, the God who came to proclaim, the God who came to reach, and the God who came to launch. Each of these candles is our Advent candles. Uh, This fourth candle is about God launching. And the image that you see there on the screen, that is a launch of the SpaceX uh, rocket. John Peterson, uh, nope, John Peters. John Peters and his wife Gail were in Florida, and they got to go to a launch. And uh, John said, uh, I want to tell you, man, that was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in my life. There's an, you can see it on television, but there's nothing like being there. He said, it's absolutely amazing. And I, I would love to see that. I kind of am jealous of John that he got to see that. But I think that somebody else who even saw something cooler was the shepherds, that they saw God launching something even more impressive than a SpaceX rocket. Um, God came to launch. What, 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 what was it that he came to launch? I mean, what, what did God can't come to launch? And that's what I want to talk about today. My wife and I, several years ago, were privileged to travel to England. And uh, we saw the sights there. I was recounting that trip in my mind and looking through some pictures. And uh, if you ever want to travel somewhere and you need a, a travel guide to organize your trip for you, make sure you see everything there is to see, my wife would be that girl. Um, she took us to see everything. Big Ben, the London Eye. We got to see the um, Tower of London and take the tour there. The Beef Eaters, uh, those are the people that were there at the Tower of London. We got to see uh, the the Covenant Garden, the White Cliffs of Dover, the British Museum, the National Gallery, Trafalgar Square, um, Tower Bridge, Hyde Park. Uh, I feel like we saw just about everything. We saw the churches, St. Paul's Church, and then we saw uh, Red Tardis sitting in front of the uh, Westminster Abbey there uh, in London. Uh, uh, just so impressive. I went into Westminster Abbey, and I got in at a discount because I showed them my clergy ID. Uh, the woman looked at it, she didn't think it was a real church, but she let me in anyway that way to the Westminster Abbey. If you're Scottish... And if you've seen Braveheart, you'll understand this completely. As I walked past the grave of uh, Edward Longshanks, the king of England, I did not spit, although I wanted to. Now, if you're not Scottish, you think, how vulgar. But if you're Scottish, you're like, well, you should have. You should not, right? Okay. Yeah, Braveheart. Go watch Braveheart. You'll understand that, okay? Speaking of churches, speaking of churches, they say there are two kinds of churches in, in Europe. There are museums and there are mosques. Huh. Oh, that's something. The reason for that is because commitment to Christ and commitment to gathering together the way we are gathering together right now has drastically dropped in Europe in the past decade or so. And actually, I'm not surprised. I've never been surprised by that. I've watched it happening throughout my own life as well. And I have fought it with all my might. With all my might, I have fought that trend. Here's something that's weird to me, though. When you meet someone from Europe, particularly when I'm traveling internationally, and I'll see someone from England or something, and they learn that I'm a pastor, they want to talk about the churches in Europe, and, and they'll say, oh, you should, see the, you should see the churches we have, Steve. 
And as they talk, I begin to realize they're talking about something that I'm not looking for. They're talking about architecture. They're talking about landmarks. They're talking about history. They're talking about structure and hardware. That's not the case with everyone. But more often than not, when someone from Europe has spoken to me concerning their churches, that's what they want to talk about. I want to say to you, that is not what God came to launch 2,000 years ago. Architecture and hardware. He didn't really have that as his number one priority. I want to read about that launch. I want to read from Luke chapter 2 and kind of get a feel for the launch. We're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to go ahead and read through verse 20. So if you'd follow along silently as I read, that would be to your advantage. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, has been born to you. I'm sorry, let me say that again. Verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, in highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, as you read that, you cannot help but get the feel that God is launching something. Evidently, the shepherds had a feeling that God is launching something. They went and told everybody what they had seen. Something exciting has happened in Bethlehem. We just saw it. It's quite remarkable. But what is he launching? I want to be kind of clear on that this morning. And I want to kind of begin by talking to you about what he did not come to launch. What he didn't have in mind. And I would say to you, and I think you all know this, that he did not come to launch a monument a museum, or a mosque. Don't get me wrong, I like monuments. One of my favorite monuments is uh, outside of Rio de Janeiro. Never been there, but buddy, I would love to see that. That giant statue of Christ the Redeemer. Cristo Redentor. Love to see that thing. I like it so much that there was a, a thing I saw on the internet that they were looking to do some restabilization of it. It's pretty old. And so they were, they were gonna ask for donations and me, a Scotsman, I almost thought about possibly, potentially, maybe giving a little bit of money to that, right? I didn't, but I thought about it because I, I think that is just so well-placed looking over the city and so well-proportioned and so well-designed and so well-conceived, but it is not what God came to launch. He didn't come to launch a, a monument because monuments do not have any substance or any more staying power, I should say, beyond their substance. Let me say that sentence again. Monuments have no more staying power than does their substance. And eventually they will crumble. And maybe they'll even be forgotten before they crumble. 
Several years ago, the New York Times placed this series of questions in an article written specifically for the people of New York City. They said, do you remember the Walloon settlers? Do you know about the contribution of Eugene G. Putnam to New York's history? Do you know who Conrad Poppenhusen was? What a name, huh? Poppenhusen. That's a great name. Does that name ring a bell? No? 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 And yet, the Times reported, each of them is memorialized somewhere in this city. Their mark on history, etched into bronze and granite, is here among us. Huh. I don't know who they are. New Yorkers don't know who they are. Maybe monuments aren't all they're cracked up to be, after all. Um, Jesus didn't come to launch a monument. And he didn't come to launch a museum. I feel like there's a museum for everything. (laughs) In Alamo Heights, Texas, there is a toilet seat museum. How cool is that? (laughs) Right? Now listen, Clearfield people, Clearfield County people. Cool your jets before you start criticizing those people of Alamo Heights, Texas. Because when I moved into this town, there was a restaurant on the main drag through town that had many things hanging on their wall and a year-round Christmas tree in the window. And among the things hanging on the wall was a wooden toilet seat in the restaurant. (laughs) And if you've been where that toilet seat should have been, you know there was none on the stool. What is that? So don't laugh. Don't laugh at the museum, right? Yeah, that's kind of crazy. There's a thousand toilet seats on display in that place. I'm thinking of taking a special trip there just to see them. How about this? In Mount Horeb, Wisconsin, the National Museum for Mustard. Buddy, if you go there, you love mustard, right? It is better than ketchup, I'll say that. In Independence, Missouri, there is a museum called Leela's Hair Museum. Oh, some of you are just all aghast, like, oh, that would be so wonderful. I ordered each of you ladies a brooch made of human hair, right? I didn't, I didn't. Honest, I didn't. They have hair, though, from Queen Queen Victoria, and they have hair from Marilyn Monroe, in case you want to do some cloning, that might work for you, right? Maybe not, right? Yeah. Not into the museums. And speaking of museums, while I respect (laughs) the efforts of those who established the Creation Museum, I really respect that. The guys who established that museum know God did not come to launch a museum. Hmm. And by the way, God did not come to launch a mosque. A quick Google search will tell you that there's something happening all over. It happens in England, it happens in France, throughout Europe, that churches have closed and are closing. Protestant church, Roman Catholic churches, they're closing. But they are not abiding as empty buildings, nor are they being torn down. Do you know what's happening to them? They're being converted. And the cross is coming down off the steeple, and a crescent is being placed up there. They're being converted into mosques. Even in the United States, when my daughter and her husband were living in the Detroit area, we would drive along, and, and my son-in-law would say, do you see that, see that church there? I said, yeah, I see it. Look up, Dad. Look at the steeple. That's not a church, is it? Nope, that's a mosque now. It's been converted. In fact, in the Detroit area, churches, convents, nunneries, until I read the article, I didn't know that was really a word. Nunneries are being converted or have been converted into mosques. There's even a Wikipedia page that's set up to document it. Does that bother you? It should. 
but not with some kind of a go team go, (laughs) not with some kind of like our team has to beat theirs kind of mentality. Get rid of that. Not with some kind of political mentality. It shouldn't bother you that way. It should bother you because that is not what God came to launch. He came to launch something other than a monument or a museum or a mosque. And by the way, God did not come to launch a business. I have a good friend who's very good at business and he's always frustrated whatever church he has ever been in, he has left because of his frustration that they're not making a profit. Honestly, that's his issue. He seems to think that God came to launch a business to make a profit, to have a building, to have a respectable thing, to to be an established business in the community. Jesus wasn't interested in what money could do for him. You understand that? He says at one point, he says, you know, foxes, they have dens and birds, they have nests, but me, the son of man, I don't even have a place to lay my head. And I I don't mind. He wasn't whining. Jesus was not a whiner. He's just making the point. He's not about money. And the church is not a business. We are not here to make money. We are here to use money to honor God with and to help our fellow man, fellow woman with, our fellow human with. And because of this, the bottom line is never measured with finances. The bottom line is measured by people. It is measured by souls who have discovered what God has for them. And numbers are important, but the bottom line is never about figures on a page. It is about people and their hearts. It is about relationships with one another. It is about loving as God loves. It is about connecting on a genuine level. This is what the kingdom is about. And this is what God came to launch. He didn't come to launch a business. Third, he didn't come to launch a product, a product that will better our lives, right? You know, if you didn't know better, sometimes you would think that maybe God come to launch a new line of hunting clothing, you know? Or you may think maybe God came to launch a new line of essential oils or a new line of jewelry or even a new line of vitamins. I've seen that as well. God came to launch these vitamins? No, nobody believes that. God did not come to launch some product that will better my life. In fact, seems, it seems that as Jesus speaks, that God came to launch something that instead will cost me. And Jesus says things all the time about this. For example, in John chapter 15, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind they hated me first. And no servant is greater than his master. They're going to hate you as well. Remember, remember, if they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey you. But if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you because they don't know the one who sent me. He's not here to, to bring you something that'll fix everything in your life and make it so your life is easy. He didn't come to launch that. And yet there are websites and there are pastors and ministries that seem to say that God's ultimate goal is my selfish interest. That God came to lower my blood pressure. In fact, you see these things floating around on social media from time to time, you know, 10 benefits of going to church, lower blood pressure. God came to launch lower blood pressure for you. <laughs> improve your psychological health, boost everything from your self-esteem to your immune system, really? To lower your risk of depression and suicide, to give you a longer life. And listen to this, to make your marriage more stable, happier, and more physically rewarding. Now listen, some of those things may be accurate, but that is not what God came to launch. Jesus being born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger was not doing that to perk your immune system a bit. And it feels blasphemous to suggest 
that he went to the cross so you could be more satisfied with your partner in marriage. Does it not? Does it not? Some of the things that I mentioned do indeed arise from following Jesus, but they are not the reason God wants you to follow Jesus. They are not what God came to launch. So to address what God came to launch, I'd like to ask you to turn to our second passage today. It's it's Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. What did God really come to launch? Why did God come as a man? Why in the city of David is there born to me a Savior who is Christ the Lord? Well, let's look at Matthew 16, which is a familiar passage. I know we've been over this passage recently, but I'd like to look at it once more. Matthew 16, starting to read in verse 13, we're going to read about half a dozen sentences here. Follow along silently as I read. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? You understand he's saying, who's everyone say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. All right, let's talk about that a little bit. This passage shows us a lot of what God came to launch. And the first thing I want to say to you is that it tells us that he came to launch an attack against death. And I'm not just talking about physical death. He came to free people like you and me from the grip of death, and from the fear of death. He came to make people that you see every day walking around like corpses, he came to transition them from death to life and make them alive, not like corpses. He came to free people from the things they were in bondage to. He came to free them from bondage to that which decays. I say this because of the words we just read. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Another translation says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The word that is used there, that word Hades, is a Greek word. It can mean hell, but it can mean more than that. It can refer to the underworld. It can refer to the place of the dead. I think Jesus is using it in all three of these ways, but I think he's using it both literally and figuratively as he's speaking here. For a long time, I really misread what Jesus says here. I, like many others, (laughs) felt like Jesus was saying, I am going to build my church, and if the gates of hell ever attack it, my church will survive. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. But gates don't attack. Gates don't attack anything. Gates defend. If one city in ancient times was going to war against the other one, the gates of city A didn't get up and trample down the highway to get to city B to beat it up. The gates stayed where they were and defended. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Gates don't attack. (laughs) Gates defend from attack. So what Jesus is saying here is that his church is the instrument of attack. His church is what is going to attack everything that is embodied in the word Hades. 
It's attacking a place of death. It's attacking the tendency toward bondage. It's attacking the bitterness that eats away at your soul. It's attacking the lethargy, the, the lack of energy you might have towards spiritual realities. It's attacking the torment that you have allowed yourself to be engaged in. The church is attacking all of that, and the gates of death and hell itself will not stop the church from being successful in that attack. Do you understand that? That's what's being said there. Now, don't get this image in your mind of a little white church with a little steeple on top of it, the building, heading down the highway, down through into the earth, deep into the bowels of the earth, till it gets to the gates of hell and knocking them down and freeing all the people that are in hell. That is not what this is saying. It's just silly to even suggest that. What Jesus is saying is much more practical to you and me than that. First, you know he's not talking about a building. Never, as far as I can tell, in the New Testament, does a church, the word church, mean structure, building. They met in homes. And so the church was really the people, not the building. It's always the people, even today. He's talking about a movement a movement of people that he is going to launch. He's talking about a group of people who are built on the rock of Peter's proclamation. You understand when he says, Peter, you are the rock. On this rock, I will build my church. He didn't build it on the shoulders of Peter. The church is built on Jesus Christ. But what Peter said, that's the rock. That Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah the Savior, and on that truth, on that reality, on that proposition, I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't stop that church from doing what I want it to do. Such a powerful statement he is making there. Second, you know he's not talking about a place of those who are physically dead. When he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he's not literally talking about going into hell and pulling anyone out because so far as I can see in scripture hell is a final destination the bible says people are destined to die once and after that face judgment and there's no evidence of second chances there's no escaping there's no hope in hell so he's not talking about people who are physically dead Jesus is talking about people who are spiritually dead He's talking about people who are in a place of darkness in their spirit. He's talking about people who are on their way to hell, people who are spiritually stuck, people who just can't seem to break loose from this death that is all around them, and they have the stench of death about them. He's talking about his people, the church, rescuing those people, the lost, because of the fact that he is the Savior, the Messiah. And the gates of hell are not going to stop him. Nothing is going to stop him. And third, when he says the gates will not prevail against his church, he is saying that bondage to death, the bondage of death and of Hades, is overcome by what Peter has just proclaimed. That when you say, I recognize Jesus, that you are the Messiah, I recognize you are the Son of God, I recognize that you are the Savior who has come to die for our sins, at that moment, At that moment that you turn from your sin and trust him, the gates of your personal hell are broken down. The gates of your personal hell no longer stand. And you are moved from death to life. And you are moved from torment to joy. And you are moved from bondage to freedom. You are moved from hell to heaven. That's what he came to launch. 
That's what he came to launch, an attack against death. He came to launch a whole new way of living for you and me, for humankind. I got permission to tell this story, but I didn't ask for permission to tell the name, so I won't mention the name in this story. But uh, a buddy of mine got some tickets to be on the sidelines at a Steeler game. Wow, how cool would that be, right? Yeah, I would love that, right? Because you know what I would do? Whenever we came to the end of a, of a half, I go right over and stand beside Tom, Tomlin, and I say, let me run the clock. Let me run, because you don't know how to do that. Let me run the clock, yeah? And if I ever saw him reaching for that red handkerchief in his pocket, I would slap his hand right now. Yeah. I think it'd be great to be on the sideline at, a, at an NFL game. My, my buddy said, I got a few extra tickets for the visiting sideline given to me, and, and so I, I waited outside until I saw fans of the opponent coming in. Now, you got to know, in Pittsburgh, we don't like them, right? They're fans of the opponent. We don't like them. Yeah, we do. We're not idiots. Well, most of us aren't, right? And he, he waited, and he saw this family. He had four tickets, I think, and he saw a family of four coming in, and they're wearing the jerseys of the other team. He's, and he walks up, and he says, hey, 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 hey. And they're like, yeah, what, what? He says, I, I got something. I got something for you. I got four sideline passes for you guys. And, and, and how much do you want for them? Nothing. You can have them. You can have them. Take them. Really? Yeah. He gave them to them, you know? <sighs> That's pretty cool. Now listen to this, and here's what I'm telling you the story. A few days later, after that, when I was talking to him, I asked him how it was. And he said, you know what the best part was, Pastor? Giving those tickets away. Watching that family light up when I put those tickets into Dad's hand. (laughs) Yeah. See, that's a whole new way to live that Jesus introduced when he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He's launching a better way of life. A life where your selfish interests are not what you're living for, but you're living for something way above that. That's what he came to launch. A way in which people would show the love of God to the love of others. A way in which you would love your neighbor as yourself. A way in which you would love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. It's a whole different way. That's what he came to launch. And on top of that, God came to launch a new family for you and for me. He launched a new place for you to belong. Now, you can find this throughout Scripture. The passage I'm going to share with you, the verse I'm going to read here in a minute, is from Hebrews 2.11, where the Scripture says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are being made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. It blows my mind that Jesus would say, hey, Steve, how you doing, brother? Wow, how cool is that? But it's not just Jesus that I'm a brother with. Robbie, if you're Jesus' brother and I'm Jesus' brother, do you know what that makes us? Family, brothers, yeah, brothers, right? (laughs) You see, God came to launch a place where you can know and be known by some folks. Family. God came to launch a place where you can be real with some folks and they can be real with you. Family. God came to launch a place where you can love a few folks and be loved by them. Family. He he came to launch a place where you can serve a few folks by providing a funeral dinner for Barry's family and be served by some folks when you need it. Family. He came to watch a place where you can celebrate some folks 
and be celebrated by some folks. You see, the building is important, but he didn't come to launch the building. He came to launch the people, the family. Fourth, God came to launch some new opportunities for people like you and me. One of the most well-respected men among men is Tony Dungy. I mean, even if you don't care about football, you should know Tony Dungy, and you should respect him. He's a great man. When Tony's son took his own life, I watched ESPN all day that day. I loaded it up in a little window on my laptop, and while I was working on stuff for the church, I just had it streaming there. And uh, ESPN talked about Tony all day long. They stopped everything else and talked about Tony. Now listen, coaches, families struggle with tragedy and suffer tragedy every day. But when Dungy's family lost their son, ESPN stopped being ESPN. There's something special about this man, I think. He has been successful beyond, <laughs> beyond what I would ever anticipate. I mean, he's been a Super Bowl winner. Once as a player and once as a head coach. He has been a two-time ESPY Award winner. He is in a Pro Football Hall of Fame. He is the first black coach to have been placed in the Pro Football Hall of Fame for being a coach in the modern era. That's awesome. He's a great man. He is one of my heroes. But it's not because of those other things. It's because he's a Christ follower. And it's because of his character. ESPN didn't stop being ESPN because Tony had won the Super Bowl. They stopped because they can see within him he is a different person than anyone else we know, or so it would seem. I would say to you that that difference is he's taken advantage of opportunities that God has given him, but not opportunities to win Super Bowls. By the way, you know how every leader, every public speaker has little things that they say all the time. You probably noticed it about me. I probably have something I say that I'm unaware of and I say it all the time. Um, coaches do this. If you remember John Madden, you can remember him with that CBS chalkboard and he's going, this is the lane. They go through the lane here. He must have said the lane 150 times per game. That's just what, what it was his line. There's a politician that you might have bumped into uh, on television or whatever who likes to say, believe me, believe me. Have you heard that line, right? It's just something he says. I had a teacher, a health teacher in high school who said, you know, you know, you know, so many times that we would make little tally marks on our notebooks, you know, the whole way through and it, we'd fill a paint, you know, you know, do you know? Said it over and over again. I don't think I have any of those peculiarities personally. If you happen to have noticed them, I don't want to know. You know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> John McCracken has his arm up. I'd like to tell you what they are, Pastor Steve. I don't want to know. <laughs> But I know this, I know Tony Dungy's word. Because I've read his books, I've listened to his audiobooks, I listen to him, I'll watch him on television anytime I can. I love Tony Dungy. I don't agree with him a lot of times with sports because he doesn't pick the Steelers for every game. But besides that, yeah. Yeah. Here's his word. Opportunity. Listen to him sometimes. Yeah, guys that have read his book and listened are nodding. It's like his word. Opportunity, opportunity. In a sense, because... Tony takes opportunities himself. He wants others to take them. 
The opportunities he takes, though, are opportunities not to win a Super Bowl or get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but they are opportunities to live for God because he finds when he takes those opportunities, his life has meaning that it could not otherwise have. And God came to launch opportunities for Tony and for you and for me. I watched him on a video this week and I actually, (laughs) I slowed it down so I could type as fast as he was talking. Did you know you could do that? This is Tony Dungy. Uh, I should read it like it was. I've really come. No, I'll read it like he, this is what he said. Listen to this. He said, I've really come to the conclusion that a life of meaning comes from your perspective. I've been in the NFL and been doing some things on television. I've worked in some other jobs, and I know what you do doesn't give you true meaning. I think it really comes from why you're doing things. That's where true meaning comes from. From why you're doing things and from the people that you've been around and who you're able to help and what your perspective is. For me, that is really understanding that God's in control of everything and that I'm really doing whatever I do for him. So, whether I'm coaching on Sunday afternoon or I'm in the NBC broadcast booth on Sunday evening, or whether I'm just with my family trying to raise my kids the right way, true meaning that I get out of this is based on how I impact other people and what I do for the Lord. No wonder ESPN stopped everything. Because he is committed to something that God came to launch And that was every opportunity that he could give you to glorify him and to share him with others. You understand that? Did the pronouns get mixed up in that for you at all? Tony Dungy is committed to what God came to launch. Opportunities for people like you and me to glorify God and serve others to the best of our ability. And in doing so, we will find purpose and meaning because we're cooperating with what God came to launch. Opportunities. He gives them to you all the time. Let me ask you a question. When you think of church, do you think of the things we've talked about today? I mean, when you think of church, do you think of an attack against Hades? An attack against death? Through the church. I do. When you think of the church, do you think of launching a new way of living, a new way of serving, a new way of behaving toward other people? I do. When you think of church, do you think of a new family to participate in and and people to get to know and share life with some people that you can be known by and you can know, and you can serve and be served by, and you can love and be loved by? Do you think of that? I do. When you think of church, do you think of new opportunities to find meaning and purpose in a life that is completely pointless, void of God? I do. I say to you that all of these things are possible for you and I to engage in because God has launched this church. That this Christ child who was born and placed in the cradle came to launch all of this, but all of it is only possible through the cross. 
It isn't a cradle that saves you, it is a cross that saves you. And when you come to him and you say, with Peter, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. Forgive me. I want to follow you. Then because of the cross, you are able to join in the attack against Hades. You are able to live in a new way and you are not nearly as selfish as you once were. Every now and then, my wife will look at me and say, you've grown up to be such a fine young man. And it's all Jesus. It's because of the cross. And because of the cross, he's given you a new family. Because of the cross, you have meaning and purpose in your life. I want to pray that that launch would be so drilled into your being that you could not live without a deep and profound awareness of it. So if you're comfortable doing so, would you please stand? And I will pray to that end. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. God, we understand from your word a little more about what you came to launch. (laughs) We love the perks, you know. We like having good health and lower stress and we like having a nice building and great decorations and we love having all the things that come with being a Christian but we know you didn't come to launch something to to fill our selfish desires. So much bigger than that. We recognize you came to launch an attack against death and hell and we get to participate in proclaiming that. You came to launch a new way of living and we get to participate in living that way. And you came to launch a new family and we get to participate in being in that family. And you give us opportunities all the time. May we walk as men and women who want to, who want to cooperate with your launch. May this movement move through us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.